Hi, this is Eric Malarchuk, and you're listening to the Finn Oops Pod. Hi, I'm Stacey Case. And I'm Joe Daly. And this is FinOps Pod. I'm digging the theme this podcast. Yeah, oopsies. Uh, FinOps oops. Yeah, because you know what? I think a lot of times we're so great at highlighting people that are doing FinOps successfully, as one should in a FinOps mm-hmm. podcast or in our stories and stuff. But there's a lot to be learned from folks when they make mistakes and how they correct them. And I think there's so many people out there that are afraid to mention their mistakes sometimes that they've made, but they don't realize everybody else has probably made the same ones or something worse even. All Finox wisdom stands on the shoulders of dumpster fires. (laughs) We all made mistakes, some of them quite large. And the beautiful part about FinOps is that you can quantifiably measure the cost of your mistakes. That can be scary. (laughs) It can be scary, which makes it even the scarier, but we all do it. It's all part of learning. And we have some very brave folks who've shared their stories with us this week. I also feel like this is, I mean, I know you plan things, Joe, Mm -hmm. but this is also like the perfect follow-up to Allison's podcast too, because she's talking about really leaning into the fear about making mistakes, correcting mistakes, or at least giving her team the free reign to make mistakes and learn from them. So it's this nice through line, whether planned or not, I'm giving you credit for figuring that one out. Oh yeah. It's all part of my master plan. Oh, so I have a thought. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you have post-production because if this was a live recording that you did in broadcasting, you would not have been quick enough on all of the bleeping that you had to do. (laughs) Some of these, I think there's the same sentiment for all of these stories that we're going to hear. Mm -hmm. And usually it's like, this was the aha bleep moment. (laughs) And I love that our community is very quick to share that moment with everybody, but also meant that you had to do a little creative bleeping for this one. Yeah. To make it. We have some personal scary moments. Some folks really opened up and were candid with their feelings. And, you know, that caused a little beep button action going on, which is fine. Because, you know, all good, all family friendly fare on the FinOps pod. You said beat button, and then I thought beat box, and then I was almost afraid to say it, and I was afraid that you were going to beat box. So don't beat box. But everybody Not at today. home, think about it. How would you be a beat boxer for the beat but- bleep button? Ble- I didn't even say beat beat bleep button. Beat box bleep button. I'm holding back so much right now. <laughs> a couple of things before we get in. Yes. I have a couple of thoughts on. Again, I thank you for letting me listen to this in advance. It was. Really helpful. Hey, two in a row. Super helpful. Two in, two in a row. row folks. We're, we're trying to prep. For everybody that's keeping track at home. But we were chatting about this, you and I, and you also said that you had your little FinOps oops moment as well. FinOps. FinOps. Yeah, I had a FinOps. This is early on. This is early days, maybe, I don't know, maybe sometime 2016 or like maybe very early 2017. Automation was not really part of any of the cloud financial management tools Mm -hmm. that were available, but one platform did. I'm not naming names, although probably be pretty obvious. So, you know, like I said, it was early days. 
there was a sense that FinOps or the people who did it, we called ourselves cloud optimization. Mm -hmm. The people who did this function, they thought it was really going to be temporary. Like this is just something that'll get solved with a few tags and then it'll become normal course of action. They had no idea. We were just beginning. But this new platform that we were using had automated right sizing. Mm. So basically it would show you all your compute resources and it would say, hey, you size this, it costs you this much. If you click this button, you could save 25% or whatever. And it would show you what the server was and, you know, you click it, it'll relaunch at a new size. And we never touched it because... I don't know. It doesn't sound like a good idea to go and change people's servers without telling them. But the person who is in charge of the cloud department, he was really excited about this new functionality, this new automation. So he, he's like, Joe, let's test this button out on this non-prod server. If you're going to test out an automated right sizing, you should test it out on a non-production server. Sure. So I said, I don't want to touch the button. That sounds like a bad idea. But let me talk to the team uh, because the team whose button he wanted pressed also reported up to him. We're talking a so lot about went, pressing buttons today, aren't we? I feel like this is a common uh, day. Bleep buttons, pressing bleep buttons, buttons on prod, just pressing yeah. buttons in general. There is no safe FinOps button. Let's just say that. Ooh. I went and I talked to the team and said, hey, the boss wants to hit the button. And they're like, that's a bad idea. And I was like, I told him that you can tell him that, but at the end of the day, he wants that button hit. And so after a lot of discussion, we decided we would hit the button and right size the non-production server automatically on a Friday afternoon. So we do it. And just to be clear, I'm the lead of a centralized FinOps team mm -hmm. and we made the app team, uh, hit the button on their own thing. Right. And they hit the button and the server gets right sized. I'm like, well, my work here is done. And I went home for the weekend. So when I come back Monday, I see the app team, it's this like dead look in their eyes. And I'm like, whoa, what happened to you? And they're like, I've been here a whole weekend. And I said, why? And what happened was after they pressed the button, the application was Splunk, which is a log aggregation tool. And they were a new team to it. They had just taken over the application and they had just scripted the launch of Splunk into the cloud. And so what their script did was they saw in their non-production environment that a server no longer looked like the code. And so rather than just relaunch that server, it deleted everything. And when I mean everything, I meant test, oh non-prod and production. No. The entire system was deleted and relaunched. And so every application in production that had a hook into our Splunk environment went down because Splunk disappeared. So a lot of people spent all weekend getting these applications back up and running. I mean, I had a great weekend. Nobody called me, <laughs> but it was a lesson learned. So it's one of those things, automated right sizing, good idea. No, it's not a good idea. It's a bad idea in theory, bad idea in practice. And if you really need to make sure your engineers, when they script things, don't script to delete the entire environment when it's just non-prod. But if you are a FinOps practitioner, you need to get the hell out on the weekend 
and turn off your phone so no one calls you. <laughs> so when it does all go down, you're not alerted. That's scary. I'm glad you still had a job when it was all said and done, too. And everybody did. Yeah, yeah. It was an expensive lesson learned. Well, you know what? Hopefully, because you're sharing it, someone else doesn't mm-hmm. have that same expensive lesson. Kind of like listening to Mike Barba. I liked mm-hmm. listening to all of his. And then at the end, he's like, had I been part of the FinOps Foundation or knew this existed prior, I probably wouldn't have experienced this. And I think that's one of the most valuable things about sharing is, is sometimes it can be embarrassing. They're costly. They're hard to talk about after the fact. But by sharing them, you're helping another person be like, ah, yeah, I didn't think of that. Or I did that too. But being able to have that conversation with folks is really super, super helpful for everybody in the foundation or anybody that's, you know, managing any type of their cloud spin. Absolutely. Lessons learned. Mm -hmm. I'm hesitant to mention this because I'm afraid for your ego. Like I'm a little nervous. (laughs) (laughs) So Eric, at the end, we'll get, you'll listen to it, folks. He gives some props to Joe. I'm concerned. I don't want Joe to get like a big ego in head. Like, you know, but he really does give some shout out to Joe. And I guess it's legitimate. I debated including that. And oh, I I'm surprised lie. you didn't change the volume on it to make it louder than the rest of the entire podcast. So every time he says well, Joe, it would Joe, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> you know what? I I might go back and change the mixing on it uh, to do that. And so if you make it to that point of the podcast, it gets really loud when someone's giving me a shout out. That's Stacy's idea. No, it's not. But also. Eric, and I don't want to spoil what this is, he also introduced a new persona that we've never considered. I can't believe we haven't considered this persona as part of the FinOps universe. You know, holidays are coming up, a holiday-themed persona. It's a good one, folks. It is. It is. All right. So with that, we have stories from Courtney Borman, FinOps ambassador and FinOps lead at General Mills, Eric Norman, Mike Barba, and another FinOps ambassador, Eric Malartrick, we took his story out of his breakout session from FinOps X. So if you weren't at FinOps X, you could get to hear uh, what some of the sessions sounded like. So that's a little, little added on bonus, little layering of bonuses. I'm afraid to say anything because last time you kept making fun of me getting the last word. No, you go ahead and get the last word. I don't have anything to say. Here we go, oh. folks. Enjoy. <laughs> I'm Courtney Borman, and I work at General Mills, leading the FinOps practice there. And I'll give a quick overview here of a little spin oops that we had at General Mills. So, you know, life sure a lot of teams would get excited about the savings that we can find and how many dollars we're able to drop to the bottom line and have for reinvestment. And unfortunately, what that meant for us is that, you know, risk avoidance took a little bit of a backseat. It was on our roadmap, but it wasn't sort of the sexy excitement of cost avoidance and being able to really drop that savings. So earlier this year, we had a case where risk avoidance really got up with us, and it was in our big query tools. We use GCP at General Mills, that's our primary 
cloud. And the GCP, we have a fully pad service within BigQuery. And so we have a team out there doing some report development. And within that report development, they had a very large table that they were pulling data against. So they had a 64 terabyte table out there that they were pulling data against. And with that table, they did not partition or cluster the data. So as they went out to do this report development over a few days, instead of just pulling a subsection of data, it went out and it was scanning the entire data table. And so what that meant for us, you know, just this small piece of code that that team accidentally omitted to partition and cluster it um, led to about $85,000, $90,000 of charges in three days. And just for reference, this team had been spending in about a month about $2,000 for the same activity. The people that we told that first they thought it might be an error in the reporting. So we went back to really verify the recording. But I mean, it was definitely an oh moment. I think for us, it's always about wordy, right? That's the, the primary thing. There was no ill intention. It really was a small mistake that, that really any team, any person could have made. But it still mentioned it was a really costly mistake for us. We took this really as like a learning opportunity. It was a good check around. How expensive not having the right controls in place really can be for your organization. And it could have been much, much worse than this because when we first started our FinOps practice, we would actually just reconcile the bill at the end of each month. So we didn't have a real time reporting. Over this past year, we had spent, invested a lot of time in real time reporting. So luckily, we caught it within just a few days still longer than he wanted to be, but I mean, it could have went on for an entire month. That was at least a little bit of a silver lining, but it really prompted us to then move quickly putting quotas in place. And so quotas restrict the amount of data that can be processed through BigQuery. And these quotas now that we've put in place, the majority of our projects have a standard quota where they really aren't able to spend over $1,000. When they go now to execute that query, it just shuts it down. It won't actually run it. We do have a few bigger projects that have exception quota limits that are higher than that. If we had invested the time in the quotas to begin with, this would have been a $3,000 mistake versus, you know, nearly a $90,000 mistake. I think honestly a great learning for us in terms of just making sure that we're prioritizing risk mitigation equally with cost savings opportunities that are out there that exist we're assessing what other services on gcp would be prone to hey these services scale really fast they're very performant but that also means that they're very financially risky and where do we need to look at additional controls so that we don't say in the future, right? Hey, we have this same thing happen on our AI ML platform or on our logging platform, and we're able to work on mitigating it before it ever happens. And then providing the education as well to the team. So that's really, you know, we not only implemented these quotas, but back provided more education around the importance of clustering and partitioning, making sure that we're really getting the education out. 
super thankful for the culture that we have at General Mills, right? You know, we're not blaming anybody. We're just working together to try to solve this and make sure it's a systemic fix so that it doesn't happen again. Hello, my name is Eric Norman. I live in Italy. I was tasked with optimizing costs on AWS for storage. So we had all these EBS volumes for our EC2 instances and quite a lot of them. And there were plenty of backups across all these companies in the corporation. We do the cost optimization centrally. And so I was basically going through, I don't know how many accounts, can't remember them. We have tools basically to strike that into Google Sheets. And so we could just, you know, pull some formulas and check for what is out of, basically out of spec or out of order. So I can't even remember how many accounts that was. Plenty, plenty, plenty. And I discovered really old backups, like in that, cluster, the youngest backup was five years old and the oldest one was nine years old. And I mean nine years old, that means something like 2011. So no security updates, no patches, nothing. And it was marked as production. So I was unsure if I could delete it, but who would need a nine-year-old backup? So maybe the tag production was, you know, forgotten, should have been erased, whatever. So I asked my manager, because this was obviously something out of my direct instruction not to touch anything called production. And he also agreed that nothing should be that old. And I don't know exactly who we asked for what it did, but I got green line to delete these backups. And it turned out a couple of months later that they were needed for disaster recovery, these backups. So basically they had an outage and the automated, well-tested <laughs> disaster recovery procedures failed because these images were missing, these backups were missing. And they couldn't figure out why it wasn't because they hadn't even thought of putting in some logging in there, what went wrong. So it just, they just knew it went wrong but not exactly why. So they had to somehow debug through that. And obviously it was a Friday evening. So late Friday evening, I got a message saying, did you perhaps delete those backups? And foremost, why? I basically had to type them up. There was an investigation. And then luckily I had it black and white that I had the green light to go delete those. So. Luckily, it was not my f sorry for the word, but it was I who pushed the button. Yeah, and basically, my name went quite a lot around for quite some words in chats and emails, and uh, I have to explain the same story to a lot of people. Definitely, that was a lesson for me. The lesson I learned was something that should be okay needs to be investigated thoroughly. The thing is, it was a legacy software that was hosted in the cloud, which was in maintenance mode. So it was not 
even looked into more thoroughly, you know, so it was basically, they were rewriting it in cloud native solutions, as far as I'm aware. And so they didn't look into the, they just left the legacy stuff. They said, tested, fine, it's working. We don't need to look into that. So they didn't need to look into this. So they didn't even know that they had to, you know, recover year old documents on how this was working. And basically the legacy software wasn't compatible with newer operating systems. Cloud native for me is basically using high level services that you just basically glue together with some code and configuration and that basically you don't develop anything almost anymore. You just combine them. So don't almost code anymore. So we had plenty of cases where we go from one and a half or two million lines of code and rewrite it with less than 5,000. Simply because we use cloud native application development as a principle. If you talk cloud native and talk about hosted legacy software, that simply doesn't mix. So just because you host something in the cloud is not cloud native. Hey, so my name is Michael Barba. I am a senior cloud FinOps manager at a database software company called Couchbase. Joined here about six months ago and have been in the FinOps space for about close to five years now. So originally started off in competitive intelligence, competitive pricing, and that had started with studying the AWS price book and then that eventually moved into prices and getting into spots where you're actually supporting teams with the starting to manage volumetrics, manage the unit price with reservations and really just expand in all sorts of directions since then. I guess a good way to think about, and it kind of goes back to tagging strategy best practices, but basically what the tagging strategy was at this company for how they would have tracked what different instances we've used for is instead of using separate tag keys for, let's say that what the application was, what the environment type was, what the customer name was, what the region was, instead of using separate tag keys, that would all get consolidated into a single host name. It was basically all shorthand. And so what we would usually do is that there'd be different, we'll call it like a dash. Dash key might mean dash prod at a certain point in the thing. They might say dash PRD to actually wildcard search it. It's basically just if you have an Excel sheet up, you could type that into the filter and that would pull up anything that was prod. It's not just tagging best strategy too, but it's also in a best account strategy as well. It is using different accounts for different purposes. So maybe you'd want to have production accounts separate from non-prod or different applications. You might not want to have all your customer facing applications, same account as your support staff. And essentially what we were doing here, well, everything was pretty much with a couple small exceptions, pretty much everything was just in a single quote unquote production account. And so there was an initiative to clean up part of the support stack. And let's say that this was dash PS might be this particular support stack application it was referring to. Well, a long time ago, that particular dash PF was used in a production account and wasn't really just one person. There were several people looking at this data, but when we collectively looked at that data and just kind of gave it the check mark to say, okay, that's Let's say that there is a dozen of these servers that were supposed to get taken offline. We pulled in 
the 12 of them, but only 11 of them were really what we were looking for. And then we accidentally pulled in one that was a production server because it had an old naming convention that just happened to have the same match. We didn't recognize that at first and uh, that went through the delivery queue all fine. And it was all very monolithic architecture. So it all was like service tickets and uh, that got taken down. So <laughs> that was pretty much kind of perfect storm in terms of just uh, not great tagging practices in the first place and standards changing over time. Things easily just got mixed up and that's what happened. Caused an escalation that same day. Uh, oh, there's an escalation from the customer and kind of internal uh, escalation to try to understand what happened, realize the error. So the server got brought back up online, but definitely, I think the customer noticed within a few hours, it was pretty yeah. quick. Yeah. I think this was maybe a more sensitive customer. Although I can say, even if the customer were calm, it, it definitely was a high expectation for cost savings and not a very high expectation for errors. So one of the consequences of this story in particular was it definitely slowed down future optimization efforts because it was one of those stories that scarred people so much that things had to get validated seven ways to Sunday from there on forward. You know, once a company does get far enough along in terms of the tagging strategy, to actually unwind that and improve on it is is definitely a challenge. But I would also say too, at the time, that was actually before I had down up Foundation as well. Um, and uh, just like a side story, I guess, was that part of the reason I even switched that job was someone that was an active member of Synops Foundation was telling me about how there was this community that was kind of carving out paths for these types of roles. Uh, it was definitely something that interested me at the time. And that was where I decided to go next and got FinOps certified. But yeah, I definitely would say if I'd had the FinOps Foundation materials and references at the time, maybe I could have made a better case that saying we're way out of whack with best practices and tagging. Hi everybody, my name is Eric Lartrick. A little bit about myself. I am known as the Boomi Grinch. I work for Boomi, an integration platform as a service company. And I am a FinOps ambassador. Oh, let me tell a little story. This is a true story. It probably will resonate with everybody here. Uh, imagine starting at a brand new company in a brand new job, and you are responsible for the entire operation of a platform. And imagine that you start at the end of the year, and your team is not really around because people are on vacation. So you start digging into your typical onboarding experience and you dig into, uh, oh, let me see what the, the cloud bill is here because you know, I have no idea. Well, you start discovering that, hey, there's this big spike that started, oh, about a month ago and it's um, kind of plateaued. So you're wondering, hmm, let me think about that and talk to my team when we get back next year. So you, of course, come back next year and then you have that conversation with the team and you discover, you know, after you're you know, probing the team, which you're meeting for the first time, that your team happened to run through a routine DR test, and they happened to leave the infrastructure on after the test was done, of course, and then went on vacation to only um, <clears throat> have a, uh, a spend spike of, you know, six figures. So imagine having to walk into your new boss's office and have that discussion with your boss saying, um, I know I wasn't here, but I 
I'm sorry we messed up and you know, left infrastructure on and it caused an impact. Yes, you know, that conversation is not fun. I did. Now, the, the conversation with my new boss was more along the lines of own the problem. So we own the problem and we figured out a way to offset some of the costs that we were, that we you know, threw out the window, more or less. So there's one more question from Sarah. Why am I the Grinch? Well, Joe, I don't know if you remember this, but it actually came from your inspiration. Uh, talking about holiday time, right? Typically, people are going on vacation or not gonna be around. So I thought of a somewhat creative way, although you've done it before when you were at Nationwide, correct? more or less, doing a play on myself as the Grinch, and the Grinch does not like when your resources are being left online when you're not around. So we, uh, I made a big campaign to literally shut off like everything in non-production, like we had nothing on. And it was, like, the difference was like, I think it was 240,000, like it was something ridiculous over the course of like two weeks. And uh, after that, I just started getting referred to as the Grinch. And in Slack, people made all these different little emoticons for the Grinch and different holidays. So every time we have a holiday that comes up, we uh, make a push to make sure our stuff is being shut off. So it's stuck. And you know, I've kind of played off of that persona ever since. All right, Finoptonauts, that's it for this episode of FinOops Pod. Your call to action is to make bigger and more glorious mistakes and share the stories and share the lessons with the community so we can keep pushing our lessons learned and our FinOps wisdom forward. If you are listening to this and you're somehow not a member of the FinOps Foundation, go over to finops.org, click the join button and be part of this amazing community. Big thank you to Courtney Borman, Eric Norman, Michael Barba, and Eric Malartrick for sharing their stories with us. Of course, thank you to Stacy Case for the idea for the FinOps Beatbox Bleep Button. That's it for this episode. We'll see you next time on FinOps Pod.